0: <laughs> Give yourselves a, a round of applause. Uh, sincerely, though, uh, there's lots of things that you can do with your Sundays other than come to Evaluator Summit. So, uh, thank you very much. You are uh, some of my favorite people. Um, and speaking of my favorite people, um, they're on this panel here. Uh, and we're very lucky to have them. Some of them came from far away. So we very much appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to introduce them real quick and then we'll let them take care of it. This is our final session. Uh, Also, thank you to 734 Coffee, my name. uh, Uh, Thanks again to Margaret, of course. Um, And uh, our submission deadline for proposals is March 1st. If you want something reviewed, get it to us by March 1st. Uh, Our closing session is about challenges and we're lucky to have uh, uh, some folks who run uh, different and unique uh, and, and fairly significant challenges. And, uh, uh, and also, folks who have uh, worked with unfunded lists in one way or another. Uh, so, I'll go, uh, uh, I suppose, uh, we'll start with the prettiest one, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, uh, uh, currently, is uh, it's vice president of something, knowledge management. At Lever for Change, which is an affiliated program of the prestigious MacArthur Foundation. Uh, previously, uh, Jeff was a program officer in the was it philanthropy support yeah. program. Uh, and got us our first grant from MacArthur, and also our second grant from MacArthur, and will be very, very helpful uh, for getting our third grant <laughs> from MacArthur. Uh, and um, because he did such a great job identifying our funders and funding us, they promoted him right to be <laughs> to, over to Lever for Change. Uh, which is a really cool and exciting challenge. It's a $100 million grant, uh, and they gave the first one uh, to Sesame Street and IRC uh, to create a Levant Arabic version of Sesame Street that's that I believe just premiered recently, right? Uh, which, is, which is really, really awesome, and they're going to do it again. They're going to give $100 million away again. Uh, and what I really like about it is they published the unfunded list from that challenge uh, and has been able to raise some money for some of the, the folks that did not actually win. Um, speaking of support to the unfunded list, the solve challenge at MIT run by Alex M.Y.L. Uh, they cared very much about, it's a, they baked their challenge participants to have long applications, and the finalists all go to New York to do a pitch, but only 30 or so were actually gonna get solve challenges. So they wanted to make sure to do uh, something extra for the, for the 30 folks who go all the way to New York pitch and were uh, otherwise gonna go home with done. So uh, this last round, uh, we got feedback for all 60 of the Sol finalists uh, and delivered feedback reports to everybody uh, after the decisions. And for the folks who were up in New York who did not win, Margaret and I went up and I had sort of a marathon series of meetings with all of them. Right? So it was like, you did not win the fellowship, but you get to meet with Margaret or, <laughs> Dave, or Dave if you were, uh, if you were unlucky. Uh, it was a lot of work uh, for us, but it was a very, very enjoyable. I think it really worked out well. And I'm excited that we're going to be doing it again uh next round so if you evaluate for us there's a good chance you'll be bringing some solve runners up uh, and that's a, that's a, a big area of growth for us we'd love to be supporting ch- lots of other challenges in that way uh, we also sometimes will help challenges recruit judges for their programs uh gw who helped us find the space we help them find judges for their pitch competitions and student uh business plan competitions uh nancy ha- runs one of the world's largest uh, competitions for high school students uh, and uh, we uh, provided about a dozen or so judges. All, I'm proud I'm to say all of our judges completed their assignments. Yes, <laughs> unusual. <laughs> uh, and uh, our moderator for today, uh, Becky, is one of our evaluators. Uh, and she is also no stranger to competition. I'll let her uh, talk about that. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming. All, everybody for coming. As a reminder, our motto is uh, com- uh, Comperio, Comocor, uh, yeah, no, sorry. Exactly. The floor. Uh, uh, thanks,
1: mom.
0: <laughs> thank you. Uh, which means to listen, to learn, to speak. So I hope everybody in every session that we do gets a chance to listen, learn, and speak a little bit. Uh, Becky will moderate, and then also hopefully we get some questions from the audience and everything, uh, and then we'll be swiftly out the door once it ends. <laughs> so thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Dave. Are you, you. you.
1: you, you going to sit here? No, no, no. You. So
2: thank you all for joining us this afternoon. Um, I'm really pleased to be here, to be able to um, moderate the session. I think that today's um, panel will be very insightful, as well as, I think, great ways for you to find new new ways in thinking about how to fundraise. But also, I think that in learning more about challenges over the last you know couple of days, as well as in doing more research, realizing that the challenge is not a new concept. And I think there's a lot of best practices that we can learn from looking at the individual challenges that are out today and how successful they are and what they can do in terms of your purpose. Um, So my first question I wanted to ask Jeff, um, what do you see as some of the key issues and challenges um, with the explosion of the use of the challenge and social impact, as well as how have you seen the use of social media also impact the use of the challenge?
3: Um, All right, well, I'll I'll give the the pitch for challenges and why I think they're they're different uh, from a usual grant-making approach. So the, one is that they push the strategy in each project back out to the people that are being funded. So a lot of traditional philanthropy right now is based on a strategy that's developed inside a funding organization. And challenges reverse that. Or they, depending on how they're designed, they can reverse that. They can also push some of the decision-making authority that's typically inside a funding organization out to experts. So somewhere in heaven, there's, there's a funding organization that makes awards based on who knows the most about the topic. And just given, given, the, given the breadth of problems in the world, it's really very difficult to do that. If most of the smartest people in the world work for somebody else, I think that's Phil Joy's law. Um, taking, taking account of that and having the funding decision be influenced by outside experts, I think, is quite different. Related to that something like 70%, this is a figure from the Foundation Center's Brad Smith now called Candid, uh, 70% of major foundation programs are closed to unsolicited proposals. So that's an effort to reduce the amount of noise in the system and to be, uh, you know, yes, we're talking to you because we want to invite a proposal from you so you know we mean it. You're not wasting your time sending us stuff that is going to get a rejection. But if you have 70% of the Programs closed, you have to wonder how responsive is the field of philanthropy to what it doesn't already know. Um, when things go well, uh, with challenges the way they're being designed now, you can write an application once and have it seen by many funders. I think that's a world that we're we're trying to go towards. We're not all the way there. Um, and then lastly, with the challenges, I think it pushes the organizations that launch them to think. Differently and more deeply about their priorities. What do you really care about here? And not just up front, but when you are confronted with more really good, really high quality, very deserving ideas that you have the resources to fund, it, it forces some re examination inside the organization. So, particularly for new funders, I think it's an interesting model. That's
4: good.
1: And so there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I can keep going
4: tell uh, to some of the question about the the challenges if that's okay with the challenges um I think uh you know you you do see this huge explosion everybody's doing yeah. a prize competition and a challenge and it ranges from five thousand mm-hmm. dollars to a hundred million million is probably <laughs> the largest one as far as we know until somebody else comes along. Largest, yeah. Um but um. And you know, there are um, Jeff has given you all those sort of good things, and there are plenty of pitfalls, I would say. Um, a lot of them are, are badly designed um, around like, and they're not clear, and this is what we were talking about, Nancy, and what the goals are they, are they trying to achieve are Is it about educating students? Is it about driving innovation? Is it about scaling impact and that sort of like, three different things that perhaps we do. And that requires very different ways of handling the challenge and defining the criteria and being clear to applicants so that they're not wasting their time. Because obviously at the end, a lot of people are filling out your application form and the risk is you're wasting a lot of people's time if it's not clear and well adapted. Um, What I particularly like, I mean, I like how you say the idea of driving the strategy out of the uh, of the program officer's heads and, <laughs> and ivory tower and into the field, although I think I see plenty of challenges which sort of answer the question in the question mm. they're asking, um, so rather than actually defining the problem that they want to see solved, they sort of put too many, <laughs> you know, instead of saying we need to get three billion people I'm using an extremely global 2.7 billion people who don't have access to affordable, renewable energy, they'll be like, nuclear fusion for (laughs) across communities. And you're like, okay, you've already defined the answer and you can't drive nuclear currently, that's somebody else at MIT somewhere who's doing that type of research. Um, And I think the last thing is for certainly for Solve, um, I think, the people here who who are sort of in the best practices of challenges, is a lot of a lot of it can be a lot of the challenges can be a bit showy, right? There's there's a there's one winner, and it's clap clap clap. Have a gala with nice dresses and a check, and however many thousands or millions of dollars, and then one person wins and that's it. And you you know there's no support after that. And I think we know. Certainly, that certainly for Sol, winning the chat, First of all, we take a portfolio of winners because we're trying to drive innovation and we believe in sort of venture. You know, there's not one silver bullet bullet which is going to solve mm-hmm. educating the challenge of educating refugees today. Um, but so we couldn't. It shouldn't be one solution. And two, winning. competition and the prize for us is just the beginning of then a whole program where we're supporting these entrepreneurs to really hopefully validate their impact and and scale their work so it's not finished after the ceremony
2: in response to both of your sort of answers um have you then seen is there a better way to then get those applicants or even better way in tools of getting them to apply or or even the the process uh, of, of applying and the questions being asked and sort of that, that competition piece, have you seen or maybe have you know, advice on how to improve that, that, that system?
1: Me? I well, so haven't spoken yet. <laughs> so let me sure. dial around if I may. So, so we work with kids who are 13 to 18 years old from all over the world. And it went global organically. We never just did a big outreach. Oh, come on down. They just came. And, and I believe some of that has to do with it's a democratization of education, yes. which I think is incredibly important to the centerpiece of what we do. So all kids can be part of designing the future. This is um, active education. We call it pull education. What happens in a classroom is push. Learn this. If you do it better, you win, and you pass a test, and you get a score, and now you're a rock star. The kids that we work with, we pull. We say, create a solution to a global or local challenge that's commercially viable, that can really do something to improve the future. And our kids work in categories. This is serious stuff. They work in aerospace, energy, cybersecurity, health, smoke free world, ed tech. We have kids creating technologies for the classroom. So you have the consumer creating for the consumer of education. It's kind of interesting. So and like you, winning's the beginning. We used to give our kids money. We're in this 14 years now. I was much taller when I began. (laughs) Uh, And we used to give them money. We found out it was too much not to do anything and not enough to do what they really needed to do. So we give them opportunities. And one of those opportunities is to get a patent. And the kids own their IP. They can do whatever they want with it. We do not want kids dropping out of high school or not going to college. And creating companies—that is not our goal. Our goal is really to get kids to learn how to think and to learn how to learn. So I tell people I don't have a PhD, but I do have a GSD. I get stuff done. <laughs> and all of our—I I could use another word. <laughs> <laughs> all of our kids get a GSD, and it turns out the the Conrad Challenge certificate is one of the top credentials for university admission, go figure. So that's one of the opportunities that is a a child of this kind of work. Um, that's really exciting to me. And that that's that's just like, oh my God, we actually did what we've set out to do. That was our goal to to bring these kids into that kind of democratization of education. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I forgot my soapbox. It was good. I (laughs) said I like this. Um, so then a
2: m- broader question, I think, going back to talking about the use of the challenge mm-hmm. um, and why do you think the challenges could be a good tool from some- for somebody depending on their goal and then also seeing what have you, how can you explain to the, our people in the audience about the differences between use of a challenge versus traditional fundraising? Well,
1: challenge isn't a tool for fundraising. Oh, but in comparison to traditional
4: fundraising.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, yeah, I you got okay. Yeah, because I don't know what that uh, means. Okay. Well, so I, I mean, I think Jeff answered part of uh, part of that at the beginning in his intro. I think the the issue with traditional grant making or traditional access to capital, right, be it grant making or investor dollars or that type of thing, is that um, it's closed. It's a closed game. If you Grew up in a certain place, and you went to certain universities, including MIT, probably. Um, and you, you know, you have much better access to various forms of funding um, than if you didn't. And I think that we certainly, uh, and as Jeff said, seventy percent. When you talk about philanthropy, seventy um, percent of uh, your quote was seventy percent of. Um, foundations don't take closed rfps that means they don't accept any open applications and so you see that the the people who are getting a lot of the money are the traditional people who always got the money um you're not really and this is the case for sol you're not necessarily driving innovation Mm -hmm. and uh we certainly believe that you're not going to solve the SDGs if you just plow in more money to all the solutions that have existed uh, already, and that you need to innovate and drive innovation towards social and environmental impact. And um, That means taking risks. That means investing in new people. And that means having much broader diversity of people. Ideally, the people who are solving the problems are the people who are in the communities facing these problems as well. They're not um, Americans going to Africa um, to take a very uh, stereotypical aid worker uh, thing. And so um, the opportunity of a challenge is that anybody can apply. Yeah, It, it opens the aperture to everyone to participate in solutions. Yeah, and the problem is still gonna be, how do you try and eliminate bias? How do you help people who, obviously, if you took a course on entrepreneurship or you did a previous accelerator, or, um, you know, you're, you know English is your first language, you're gonna be probably better positioned at filling out our application than if you're not. Um, And so it's up to us, I think, to think of ways to try and level the playing field, which is similar struggle to, let's say, MIT trying to level the playing field for its university admissions, right? And it's not an easy task because you can't like right the wrongs of the world since people were born. Um, But but yeah, one of the things we're doing very briefly is we're launching, uh, it actually launches on March 3rd, if anybody wants to, you can enroll now, but we're launching a course um, on MITx, um, which is an online course around business and impact planning for social enterprises. So basically it's a course, you get a certificate from MIT, if you so desire, Um, but it teaches you how to do a business and impact plan, which happens to map exactly to our application form. And so it means that um, hopefully, people who are not familiar with how to write a business and impact plan can take the course and improve their application and and also get a certificate. So even if they're not successful, they get something out of it, so. Thank you.
2: Um, Jeff, what are some of the best practices that you can share um, that you've seen within your work but also obviously being in the space um, and seeing you know what some challenges have done in court <laughs> sorry time yeah, out. a little of techniques ten- I'm like these are not my <laughs> strong <structure." laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was not a good thing <laughs> right okay, just want to take a timeout oh,
1: you have to get the strings lined How many
4: engine engineers? No, oh. no, <laughs> it. Good one. Good one. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. does she must Yeah. She yeah. Remember
2: remember I I air air so pull it
3: this well. way. You, have you to try
2: try just me?
3: No, no, I was being I it like I
2: just get just the strings lined
0: Oh, there we go.
2: Yay! You get a GSD, name.
4: GSD. I think there's that one well, that you're the talking okay. That, one. that like one. Your was one you're Well done. Oh my God, We're
3: good. OK. <laughs> OK. So we're back. OK. All right. Um, so I think the gold standard is um, people find other sources of support that are not with the original funder. I think there's some other things that go along with that, I think, very often. Um, People learn something through the process, which is why I really are, I keep coming back to this: um, fill out the grant application, get course credit, right. or complete right. the course and have a grant application yes. as a result. Um, I think the way uh, applications are shared has a lot of room um, for for growth and understanding. We we uh, make the applications that we get available, but we don't make them entirely available, and and that's because I think that for most applicants there's sort of a a double-edged feeling you say um i want to take your application and i want to offer it to other funders there's no objection right but i want to take your application and it will be offered in a public way very often there's a sense of oh my gosh what am i exposing about myself are you putting me uh, at a disadvantage relative to other people who have succeeded in the competition will it make me look bad and those are very legitimate concerns and so i think Somehow making it um, okay to show your public participation without disadvantage is an area where uh, maybe some norms in the field need to evolve. But I I think that that's an important um, aspect of what we're doing because it allows people to learn from each other. I, somebody described the way the World Wide Web grew a lot in part was because very, very early in the early browsers, there was a, uh, there was a menu item that said uh, developer view, or view tools, or view code, view source. I think it was view source that was the thing. And, and everyone could go to somebody else's web page they admired and view the source and see how it was built. And that caused people to learn quickly how to build a functioning site. And I think when the applications are open, you can get that when they're well done. You can see a little bit of view source. Here's what worked well with someone else who received funding and that's been okay, i think largely until now no one knows why decisions go the way that they go but maybe looking at the applications gives you a sense of that oh,
1: that's great.
3: there's no intellectual property question well so what <laughs> so uh, there is and the uh, way we chose to deal with it was to make that kind of sharing a condition of participation that's great. Okay. and so Again, there's a there's a, a broad claim around that on our part. You know, it's a condition of participation. On the other hand, we really want to respect the views and the desires of the people who are participating, and and, and that gets back to that tension of um, yes, show me off, show me off in a good light. Don't show me at a disadvantage relative to other people. Do put me in front of other donors. I mean, there's there's really there's really a set of of um, tensions around that that are not. Uh, possible to resolve in a universal way because different people have a different mm-hmm. have a different sense of that. Mm-hmm.
2: That's
4: great. Yeah. So do you like best practice you can share? Um, well, we're definitely com we're we're completely open. Yeah. Um So, I think well, actually, this I think we debated it and we, we took it. There was maybe two or three questions that we don't share with the judges and which have to do with demographics and things like that just because we don't want to bias the, we want to know the demographics for Mm. our our purposes and we don't want to bias the judges. Mm. Um, But you know, we have lots of terms and conditions and indeed if you have the sort of, if you have a mini nuclear fusion reactor which works (laughs) in the night, (laughs) which you can't, but say you do. Don't put the source code of the, <laughs> on the, on the application, right? Like, so um, if you want to keep that IP, so, so you know, if people are clear that it's all going to be published and and all going to be um, shared, they're they're hopefully um, they're hopefully using their common sense to share what they their thing. I think what makes it interesting in some of the conversations I've had with Jeff around this is we're starting to see, we have about 117 and counting, 1,000, 117,000 platform users, uh, and we have thousands, I don't know, 6 or 7,000 applications so far. Um, so a lot of the platform users are commentators and voters, they don't necessarily, and a lot of the applications are teams, so you can have 10 people on a team technically, so, um, so that's sort of why the numbers are, are, are quite different in orders of a magnitude but you start to see a map of innovation around the world on particular topics. So on educating refugees, on the circular economy, on um, on healthy cities. So those are some of the challenges we've run. And I think that that makes it really interesting of seeing actually, if, and we don't, even though I'm at MIT and we should have all the data scientists in the world, I, I, still, I still don't get as many as I need. Um, but you know, you should be able to see trends, and so notably, what are things that are innovative business models that are popping up in similar places? And actually, could you get those people to collaborate rather than compete um, on, you know, edtech solutions which are similar in Kenya and Indonesia and India? We see, you know, a lot of um, copycat type things, and that's a good thing if it's working in India and there's no reason it shouldn't work in Kenya if it's well adapted to the local environment and similarly you could see you know then you can see what's maybe truly innovative and different right and then you could also see maybe what's missing why when we launched a coastal communities challenge we know so like thinking about coastal um, and shore ecosystems and the resiliency of coasts and how we're all going to fall in the water due to climate change and it's acidifying and it's terrible um we know that mangroves and coral reef restoration are absolutely key um, as natural barriers to, to climate change and sort of improving resiliency and yet we didn't see a lot of solutions and we didn't end up selecting there was barely any who applied and we didn't select them why is that if we didn't go and find the right people we don't have like perfect information we don't have perfect promotion or And this becomes sort of, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but anyway, um, this becomes interesting. Or is it that there's some sort of fundamental research missing or linchpin technology Mm -hmm. that isn't available, which means that mangrove restoration is actually really difficult and isn't working properly? And is there somewhere else, like maybe at MIT, maybe elsewhere, where you could direct research uh, dollars to those linchpin technologies? So it starts to, um, if you can sort of catalyze the data in the right way, mm-hmm. it starts to really open up a lot of possibilities. Mm-hmm. That we're not yet doing, by the way. because I need some data scientists, not if anybody knows <laughs> <laughs> anyone. Jeff, you look
2: like you All were right. about to say yeah. it. Oh, yeah, One correct. of the things
3: that um, really st- stuck with me, just kind of a follow-up to your point, was um, the Gates Foundation has mm-hmm. had a Grand Challenges program for a long time, and they had a program called Grand Challenges Explorations. Mm-hmm and they saw thousands of grant proposals and they published them. Um, but the person who was directing that program pointed out that if you wanted to know what was what was going to be in medical literature four years from now, you could get a pretty decent sense of at least some of what it would be if you read the grant applications that he was considering today. Because by the time he funded something and it, the project was completed and the, the peer-reviewed article was accepted by... And, and a journal somewhere, that much time had elapsed. So this kind of anticipatory quality of grant applications I think is something that we haven't really fully begun to, yeah, to explore or understand. But that's, that's
1: something that I think is interesting. You know, And some of the ideas that come out of these kids, because they don't know they can't do things, <laughs> and we don't tell them, <laughs> um, it, it'd be fascinating to track some of the things that are coming out of their minds and how those evolve like three or four years later as the rigor of what's actually happening it's really pretty fascinating. i want to share too that one of the things that we do um we work closely with the uspto the patent office because we ask our kids to get provisional patents when they get selected to come to kennedy space center where we host our innovation summit we want them protected it's their idea we don't want somebody just grabbing it from them I'm running around going, oh my God, I got this great idea, and I'm gonna go make a bazillion dollars out of it. It's there as a teaching tool. So our kids get provisional patents when they come to Summit. Um, And in fact, one of the PTO, uh, the head of education there is going to do a whole session with teachers on provisional patents and the whole patent process. And we have some top tier uh, law firms that work with our students that actually they go to full patent. And it's interesting because I just spoke to one of our um, teams because of the fires in Australia. And one of our teams some years ago developed a fabric. Part of the problem with the Kevlar suits that these firefighters wear is they just weigh a ton and they get exhausted and they, some of them actually die from the exhaustion. These kids had developed a, a different fabric that was fireproof very lightweight. And I called them because actually a group that you and I are involved with is doing a a whole intervention in Australia to help with the fires. And I said, what happened with that fabric? He said, we just got our patent. And I said, oh my gosh. Well, maybe we can help you commercialize it and deploy it and help the firefighters in Australia. So you never know where that's gonna actually happen. We've got another team that created a way to put out fires using sound. So they're going to start working with That's those awesome. kids. I mean, it's amazing what yeah. these kids come up with. So when you look at the footprint that these kids are putting forward and the young people that you're working with, I think it really leads a pathway to some of the innovations and the uh, solutions that are like you know microsoft has been working on and there's three and four years down the road it'd be great to be able to map these things which right now we're not doing because we just don't have the tools resources etc that's an you know it's a it's an unmet need and it's there we've got to do it so okay
2: soapbox put away (laughs) (laughs) so going maybe some interest obviously of people in the audience um what advice could you give um for an applicant for successful obviously for their application as well as if you have any advice for um a reviewer for an evaluator as
4: well um sure well, um and then also interesting questions from yeah. the audience we, we have time um i think for applicants is um it is worth spending time unfortunately researching the field and Locating really what fits, like if it's a square peg in a round hole, you are probably wasting your time. Um, you know, especially if it's well advertised and there's good money involved. Like we get routinely, the first category we have is alignment to the challenge. And routinely, things are great ideas, but they don't align to the challenge, so they're out and. Why did you waste several Everybody, hours yeah. doing that? Now I think you get better as our platform has more and more challenges. There'll be more, you know, so it'll be relevant uh, to more and more people. But but nonetheless, um, and then um, and so I think it's sort of and unfortunately uh, spending a bit of time understanding how these applications work they're kind of all the same though. And that's the, that's the good news and kind of why we created the course is they're kind of asking you the same thing. What is the problem you're trying to solve? What is your solution? Why is it innovative? Um, What do you need to really, you know, what are the barriers that you need to overcome? And do you have a good sense of what you would do with the money or whatever support we would give you? And to that, it's basically all of them, right? So it's worth like getting good at that because you see, you see it time and time again, uh, and that's unfortunate. But hopefully, this course helps a bit in, in that um, way. And then, counterintuitively, perhaps, but it's because it's a good story. Um, a financial institution that shall remain nameless. Uh, launched a badly designed challenge with mostly internal judges to this financial institution, Uh, opened the challenge for a month only, didn't seem to advertise it anywhere and had 10 $1 million grants to give in. To give out and gave and had a hun- received 136 applications. Ooh, wow! I like the odds. Uh, which yeah, teaches, um, I want to and, sign up for and that. And so one of the I know this because I had never heard about them, but it's somebody who applied to our challenge for which we received 500 applications and they didn't get selected, but they got selected for this one wow. because <laughs> because there was so there were so good odds. So I guess it's like. Yeah, it's sort of counterintuitive, but sometimes you can find, in the badly designed challenges, you can find good opportunities. (laughs) uh, uh, Because I was like, Yeah, Uh, so, and because literally, I mean, the idea was good, but it was a conceptual idea, so we were never going to select it because we don't select concepts, and so why he applied, I don't know, because he didn't read the instructions in that sense, but he got a million dollars for a completely conceptual idea. And he's like, he's a good guy, so like I think he'll do good with a million dollars. But I was like, good for you. <laughs> so would you to. like to adopt some kids and have? You know, <laughs> I mean, I think I think it'll be a good. I think oh, it's a it's good great. solution. Yeah. So it'll be mm-hmm. like, they they. But it's, it was badly. But yeah, the odds yeah. were great. So yeah. there you go. And I, I think with
1: our evaluators, and, and thank you to everyone in this room who evaluated some of our students' projects, uh, we bow deeply to all of our evaluators. <laughs> um, I think that recognizing who you're evaluating, I mean, these are kids, 13 to yeah. 18 yeah, years old, great. so nice. I guess yeah. be kind is a <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice thing to do. Um, <laughs> hmm? And constructive Constructive criticism. Constructive evaluation, not criticism. Constructive guidance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't use the word mentor, because I think it's a very, very special word that's reserved for people who actually mentor Mm -hmm. and aren't subject matter experts Mm -hmm. and uh, role models. But The guidance that you can give to these young people in the comments that you make is Huge! You can't imagine the impact you have on these young people. We've only had two in 14 years, two really bad experiences. I mean, really nasty, bad things. You know, there's just no reason for that and there's no excuse for it. So we we just, you know, it's a huge opportunity to have an influence on a young person's life that can be very, very meaningful, mm-hmm. and it cuts both ways. That's mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, well, I agree with that. I, I, I'm, I'm still spinning on the <laughs> on, <laughs> on the, on the unpromoted, <laughs> overlooked, uh, overlooked uh, opportunity there. I, I would second actually what both of you said. First, with with Alex, I think this idea of is your is your application truly responsive to the call, mm-hmm. and uh, that that varies uh, a lot in what we see it's surprising also I think um, many competitions at least as as the as the purse goes up typically the number of requirements that you're facing also increase that's not always true and this is maybe if we're going to talk bad <laughs> we're going to talk Bad prize practice: having a $5,000 prize with a 40-page application oh, uh, asked. is, you know, which which is which is a trend. I mean, there's a, there's sort of a debatable point about: do you want to ask enough so that anybody, anywhere in the chain of decision making, can instantly know the answer to whatever random question they have, or do you want to go with some very short application that's like it's two pages, it costs nothing to apply the funders casting a wide net, but you know, they're, you have no
4: idea how to judge it, you know, but well, (laughs) yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And, and so that, so when you, when you look at the competitions you're applying to, you can, you can maybe see where people are on that, on that continuum and see, are you genuinely a fit, but it's surprising how complicated some of the rules are. And I think one of the most painful things that happens in the funding communities when you have a really excellent application that fails for some ah, stupid, reason. Yeah. stupid reason. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's really not, not fun. Um, on, the, on the evaluators, um, we see a, a range of care mm-hmm. um, that people take with these that, that varies between, oh my gosh, I looked at this, and I can't stand it, and that's all you need to know. Okay. Um, and then we have to find somebody else. Um, or, or you know, page after page after page of really detailed pros and cons. And I, I think that um, anybody running one of these owes a lot to the judges and evaluators. I think yeah. that's one of the things that's exciting about Unfunded is, yes. uh, you know, the Unfunded, you know, unfunded <laughs> is really helping all of us get better um, mm, at that, because ideally we'll be performing both roles over, over the course of our, of our careers.
2: Thank you for sharing that. I would love to open up the floor um, for questions from the audience. If you want to direct generally, or maybe need to one specific person. Okay,
4: that's mm-hmm. uh, a general question. Uh, sort of being in this space and kind of some of the buzzwords that are coming up a lot are, like social impact mm-hmm. and conscious capitalism, and things like that. Uh, and one of the newer ones that I've come across uh, that has really kind of struck me uh, yeah. is effective altruism. It's mm-hmm. not it's not enough to just mm-hmm. like uh do fair trade coffee and conscious capitalism, but how is like it's the philanthropic community figuring it out so, uh, I think the person or people that have talked about this like the Gates Foundation or other people that say it's not enough to just be altruistic, but where will my dollar go furthest? Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. it's here in DC versus I can send 500 kids to school in a third world country. Mm-hmm. And how does, how does the philanthropic community weigh those options when they're giving up the money? I'm happy to take a stab at this. It's funny. We did a, a first-year course for MIT first-year students uh, on how to change the world mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, try to get them early, basically. And uh, one of the first questions. Uh, this like eighteen year old asked me was like, have you heard of effective altruism? And oh, what do you okay. think of it? Yeah. and I can't remember the guy who wrote the book about it, so I apologize. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Peter Singer? Pizza saying yeah. Oh. I mean so the good news is that it's the good the good point about effective altruism is that that obviously not all, th- you know. You should know what it, if you're even having an impact, which is hard to do sometimes. Which I'll get back to. And really, ideally, your dollars are spent in the most effective way, right? And um, and that therefore you're able to compare what is more impactful and um, versus how much it costs, basically. Now the problem with that, I mean, so the bad news is or good news is is cash transfers, whether conditional or not, beat out most philanthropy most of the time. So if really, if really, if our job, and it's like sort of like index funds, if anybody's <laughs> familiar with like the S&P 500 versus active management, right? Technically, maybe we should all retire <laughs> and and like let, and just do a passive index fund and just give money away. And there's like evidence in Brazil of like people paying, like getting, getting cash transfers to send their kids to school and that was more effective than any other outreach program and anything else. Um, so that's the bad news in the sense that our oh, active management roles are uh, maybe not that useful. Um, I think the good news or the questions is, and this I saw sort of when I was at Save the Children, notably, uh, I used to work at Save the Children years back um, but also in other contexts is uh, there's questions of equity like mm-hmm. if you're going to say if you're gonna have these and there's some people One the impact investing fund that Shelby named us which came up with this IMM structure which tries to sort of like dollarize the impact of your work and um, mm-hmm. But the problem with that is that it it takes more money to educate a kid in Angola in a uh, war-torn country um, where there are 75 different dialects. Sorry, there are probably not 75, but many dialects in Angola where the teachers speak, don't speak the same dialects as the kids and where it's not safe to go to school Um, versus in India, let's say, or in Kenya or in other places. Um, And that's just within like education, but is it fair to say, well, we're not gonna, we're just gonna like abandon the Angolan kids because it's more expensive to educate them versus, and we're gonna put all our money in India and Kenya and have a better return in that way. Um, And then there's things which are very much immeasurable, like policy change will take years and human rights. And, you know, in, um nancy's case, like educating a whole genera- you know she's you know educating this whole generation to be the next einsteins and like she's the- how she sees the impact over twenty or thirty years maybe, but that's really difficult so if you adopt so I'm all for adopting measuring your impact and trying to as much as you can and recognizing the um limits of that and then making as best use of the dollars as you can Um, and I guess I'm not a passive investor in this case because I'm trying to drive innovation I think that therefore I need to take risk and I need to be I'm a venture you know okay and I'm in this case I'm the venture investor and so I take very active positions and high-risk bets Um, and so that's where I see that that's you can't do that in a passive index form Um, but it's a it's a good debate in the sector for sure all right that was long